through some stuff today, so you're going to have to keep up with me um, because I'm, I normally take my time doing stuff, as you know. So I'm just going to do things a little bit differently. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5 to begin with. And if you don't have your Bibles, it should be up on the screen behind me, Danny. Excellent. Okay. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, And after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Isn't that exciting, guys? Now, it's been about 50 days after the resurrection, and uh, Jesus has taken his disciples, he's appeared to them, he's shown them proofs that he's alive, and he's actually spent time with them, and it says that he's teaching them the things of the kingdom. Who would like to be in that Bible study? Who would like to be hanging around with Jesus and he's telling them things of the king? Not the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of the kingdom, right? And so now he's telling them to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, it says uh, in a bit further down in Acts uh, 1 verse 8, Jesus still speaking. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus goes on to tell them that when they receive this promise, they'll also receive power that will change the world. And we see demonstrated today, right now today, 2,000 years later, that that power has been demonstrated and the gospel has gone to all. Jesus said exactly what it was going to do. Jesus doesn't lie. I want to tell you, men will lie, men will fail you, but Jesus won't fail you. Jesus won't lie to you. You can take his word as truth. Now, I just want to focus on the promise for a second, right? This promise is something that the Bible speaks about throughout Scripture. And the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, is even alluded to by Jesus uh, that it's so important and worth waiting for. So in the Old Testament... Um, I'm not going to read the scriptures, but Ezekiel 36, uh, 26 to 27 is promise of being soft hearted and being obedient. It says, I will give you a new heart I'll take your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and you will be careful to obey my ordinance and statutes. And in Joel 2 as well, a very famous passage that also the apostle Peter quoted too. Um, Joel 2, 28 to 29, that I will pour my spirit upon all flesh in the last days. And men will prophesy, old men will dream dreams, and young men will have visions. And Jesus in the New Testament himself, Matthew 3, 11, um, and also 10, 20, uh, talks about the promise of bringing the zeal and the word of God. You'll be speaking the very words of God with the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with his fire. And in Luke Uh, Chapter 3, verse 16 says the same as well about the fire of the Holy Spirit being baptized with fire. 
which is the zeal of God. And also the power as well in uh, Luke uh, 24, verses 49 as well, where he says, you will be endured with power, that dunamis power, that dynamite explosive power. And sometimes in our life, we can feel like we don't have access to any of that stuff. We don't have, where is this power that we're talking about here? Where is this promise? And I want to tell you, we're going to get to that. We're going to discover today why we're lacking so much power sometimes. So, and in John 14, verses 15 to 17, and John uh, chapter 16, verses 7 to 8, um, Jesus talks about that when the promise of the Holy Spirit comes, he'll also be the comforter. He'll also indwell within the believer. And he'll also bring conviction to the world of sin and of righteousness and the judgment to come. So, as we move on into Acts chapter 2, we see that um, it says that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all there with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. But why this day? Why this particular day, this day called Pentecost? Well, I want to tell you about the the day of Pentecost first of all. Pentecost was also known in the Jewish calendar as Shavuot. And hopefully I've pronounced that right for any Jewish people. Any Jewish people here? No? Okay. Well, I'd say Shavuot. Celebrating not just the time of the first fruits of the harvest in the agricultural cycle, but also it was the commemoration of the Torah, the Jewish law, which was handed down to Moses from Mount Sinai. This is what they're celebrating, that this covenant was handed down to them. And so it makes it significant for the Jews, and Jews around the world knew to come back to Jerusalem, because that's where they would celebrate this feast. And we also see in the book of Acts right here that um, the day of Pentecost was just not only symbolic of Moses receiving the law and the, new co- uh, and the covenant, but it was also the new covenant given to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. That's where we see the new covenant, the new law handed down, and they were filled with power. And this new law, this new covenant gave birth to the church in what you're all experiencing today. So, in moving forward, I really just want to focus on this one word in this passage. So, back in um, Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all there with one accord in one place. Now, this term, one accord, is a Greek word, hermathomadon, used in this passage, which means one mind with one accord with one passion. Hermathomadon is a compound of two words, meaning to rush along and in unison. The image is kind of like musical. It's... kind of symbolizes like a symphony, like uh, even like voices singing together, you've got different harmonies going on, but they're singing the same song in one accord. And so it can be symbolic as uh, instruments in a great orchestra as well. And the Holy Spirit is symbolic here of bringing all the different members of the body together in unison as one body as Christ's church. Now, Candice last week drew our attention to a clip on the power of the tongue and grumbling and complaining that it brings praise to the enemy. Did anyone watch that? Yeah? 
And remember, it said in there, you know, uh, complaining, uh, sorry, praise to God is, is what, like, complaining is to the enemy, right? And so um, through our grumbling and complaining, we can leave an open door for the enemy to come. And he gave the story about uh, the wilderness experience, and they were grumbling, complaining against Moses, and snakes came through and uh, bit the people, and they got sick and died. So grumbling, complaining, God didn't tolerate. And he was saying that complaining tolerated is faith contaminated. So if you have a complaining spirit, if you're complaining because you just complain, your faith will be and is probably already contaminated. Because we're supposed to be a people of gratitude. We're supposed to be a people of thanksgiving. We're supposed to be a people who celebrate. And yes, it's true. Pastor C focused on the tongue. But I want to focus on the eye, the eye especially. See, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. See, spiritually, eyes represent the mind, the center of the thoughts or our imaginations. And just as in the natural world, you know, if we got bad eyesights, what do we need? Glasses. That's right. Some people need glasses more than others. But uh, the fact is, is that if you have good eyes, you'll be able to see clearly and see where you're going and what you're doing. If you've got bad eyesight, you, you need help. And so God wants us to have good eyesight, amen? He wants us to have good eyes. And he, he calls us to be children of the light. So if we focus on what is good, we focus on the Lord, then we'll be filled with light and we won't stumble around in the darkness. We need to focus on the things of God. But who knows, all that glitters is not gold, right? And even the, even the devil himself can masquerade, masquerade as an angel of light, right? So sometimes we need discernment. Now, has anyone here heard about the gift of discernment? Okay, the gift of discernment is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, he not only came because of the promise, he not only came and brought his presence, but he brought his power through the gifts of the Holy Spirit as well. And those gifts are knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, faith, healing, miracles, discerning of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Now, the gift of discernment allows you to judge what thoughts and imaginations are from God, yourself, or from demons. And discernment is actually a gift. And as we're celebrating Pentecost Sunday, I just want to focus on this gift. Because the gift of the discernment is a little bit like these. Now, I need some helpers, please. I'm going to all give you a gift. Anyone want to distribute these gifts? Now, I must, must warn you, I'm not a professional maker of craft stuff. So I can't guarantee how these... Uh, no, I did all those myself. Can you tell? <laughs> So while those are being handed out, 
The gift of discernment is like a special set of glasses, and it allows you to see in God 3D. As you see, Father, Son, Holy Spirit lenses. And so uh, the three dimensions of God allows you to see through, and, and like these 3D glasses, it, it allows you to see or discern, as I said before, what are those thoughts from God, what are those thoughts from yourself, and what is from the enemy. Now, I want you to just watch this video quick. This video will not be in 3D for the moment, okay? I know you're disappointed, but don't be disappointed. But just if you turn the lights off first. In the Orthodox ascetic literature, the gift of discernment is extremely valued, second only to repentance. St. Paul lists it as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what is discernment? In short, it is our ability to tell the source of the thoughts that we have. Is the source holy or unholy? You know how it is in cartoons. A person is faced with a dilemma that will test his or her character. An angel and a devil appear on that person's shoulders, and each has some piece of advice how to proceed further. Ah, if things were so easy in real life. Thing is, while demons do tempt us with clear sins, they do get insidious and try to tempt us in covert ways. For example, you're hanging out in your room and suddenly... Come on, call that girl. You know that she likes you. Oh, I don't know. Do it. She'll make a lovely wife eventually. Just call her. Sounds risky. Oh, just call her up for a movie. What's the first thing that can happen? It won't be like the last time. Fight him. Wait a minute. You're trying to get me to fornicate, aren't you? What, me? Fend him off. Be gone. You're so much stronger than him. You are better than that. I won't be tempted by your sly way, serpent. That's it. You defeated the devil. As you can see from the example I provided, devil loves to play cowardly. As you can see from the example I provided, devil loves to play cowardly. Thank you. So you can obviously see in the video what is from God and what is from the devil. So... Did you also know that the enemy wants to give you a set of glasses too? And they're also 3D glasses as well. See, the plan is for the devil to keep you locked in the 3D world. And what is the three dimensions of the devil that he wants to keep you in? Deception. Division. And disobedience. Now, I do have a 3D video for you to play. Um, so turn the lights off again. Have you, have you got it there, Danny, ready to go? Was that an amazing 3D experience? Did that actually work? Because I had to put two lenses on mine to actually make it work. But I wasn't going to make two lens-sided glasses because it was taking a real long time. But I just want to tell you something, what's going on with your brain right now as you watch that, right? So this is how 3D works, right? As those shots are going past, there's 24 frames per second going past, right? And your brain is trying to basically faithfully process those, all, in, all those individual shots. But with 3D glasses and, and the sound, um, your brain is 
processing all that stimuli and does little else. In fact, your prefrontal cortex, which is involved in impulse control, future thinking, and moral choices, is basically inactive. In, and this is why you get lost in movies. The more heavily the brain is involved in sensory motor processing, the less energy it has for other tasks. So in the devil's 3D world, your mind is being infiltrated, which affects your soul and consequently your emotions. So slowly you have no energy for prayer, for worship, for fellowship, for reading your word. And it's because you're trapped in the 3D world of deception, division and disobedience. And I know because I've been trapped there before. I've seen my prayer life tank. I've seen not being thankful, grumbling, complaining. I've seen how it affects me negatively and everyone else around me as well. Now, let's take our lenses off a second, okay? And let's just, uh, I just want to watch the second part of that clip because we all easily identified who was the enemy in that one, right? As you can see from the example I provided, devil loves to play covertly. He knows all too well that if he says simple commands like kill or fornicate, he's out in the open field. Now, a person who has a gift of discernment knows which voice comes from demons. It's actually both of them. Let us see the example by the lens of discernment. Come on, call that girl. You know that she likes you. Oh, I don't know. Do it. She'll make a lovely wife eventually. Just call her. Sounds risky. Oh, just call her up for a movie. What's the first thing that can happen? It won't be like the last time. Fight, Fight him. him. Wait a minute. You're trying to get me to fornicate, aren't you? What, me? Fend him off. off. Be gone. You're, You're so, so much stronger, stronger than, than him. <sighs> You're better than that. I won't be tempted by your sly way, serpent. That's it. You defeated the devil. What seemed like a battle between purity and fornication was, in fact, a fight between pride and fornication. By defeating the lesser temptation, the man fell into a greater sin. Now, how to obtain the gift of discernment? Well, first of all, it is a gift. So you may have it, you may not have it. God may grant it to you, he may not. He knows the best. We all have degrees of it. Without it, we couldn't tell good and evil apart. The gift usually refers to detecting the most fine of traps. Praying for this particular gift is the way to go, and thankfully our church has provided us with some great weaponry in this regard along prayer. The first is your spiritual father. Your spiritual father is a great sieve for rooting out these little serpents. Not only are two heads smarter than one, but spiritual fathers have a special gift regarding their spiritual children. Don't have a spiritual father? Pray for one, and the Lord will send you one. Reading the scripture and the writings of saints is a great way to develop your sense by which to detect the origin of your thoughts, as both have a great way to say about God, angels, demons, and how they influence our daily life. The most important way is to be humble. Ask for other people's opinion, don't think yourself better than others, and you'll be fine. It's simple, but not easy. When Saint Anthony the Great saw the devilish temptations in the world, Manifested as incredibly intricate webs, he uttered, Lord, who can pass through these? And he heard a voice, the humble. 
right, guys, I've been going at breakneck speed, but this is where it comes to the crunch. No one is the enemy here. No one is the enemy here. I was crying for our church last night, just, and it's just amazing the rain's happening now. Because I'm so... It's so emotional just about how the enemy is just playing us all off against one another. And we all think we've got discernment. We all think we know better. We all can't be told. We all think we, we have the gift. But, but it's a gift and we, we don't automatically get it. And a lot of the time, we've fallen into greater sins like unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. The enemy wants to keep us coming together in one accord. We don't wrestle flesh and blood. If we truly want to experience Pentecost, a Pentecost with, with its outpouring and with its indwelling in the power and the purity of the Holy Spirit, we need to be a church in one accord. We have to be a church that actually comes together and stops accusing. Stops judging. Do I stand here as someone who's never done that? No, of course not. I've done it plenty of times. But the fact is, is that we need to be a church that comes in together at one accord. Otherwise, what we leave an open door is for the enemy to come in. And just the same as we can get power and presence from the Holy Spirit. The enemy can bring in his deceptions when we're not in one accord. We're supposed to be in accord. What do you think his plan is? To sow discord. So we come against one another. So we fight one another. But how do we do it? And this is really the key. Well, I told you before that Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, right? And in John 14, verses 15 to 16, it should be up on the screen up there. Jesus said he will send. In John 14, verses uh, 23, he says that he will abide. Oh, sorry. And in John 14, 21, he says that he will manifest. And John 14, 23 says he will abide. But it's all conditional. And I'm just going to read this straight from Scripture. Are you guys all good? Okay. John 14, 15 to 16. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. 
Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. What is the commandment we must keep to ensure that Jesus sends the promise of the Holy Spirit, that he will manifest himself through the presence of the Holy Spirit, and that he will abide and live in us and dwell in us through the Holy Spirit, and we can walk in power and authority and unity? I tell you, John 15, verse 12, he lays it out in black and white. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You want to know the key to Pentecost? It's love. They were together with one accord. They weren't sitting in the upper room and going, oh, John, you ran away, and oh, Peter, you denied him three times, and... Or they wouldn't, didn't even have those accusations in their mind. No, Jesus had settled all that for them. And were there in one accord, waiting for his promise. I know it's hard. Love one another. And you might say, yeah, but I tried to, but you don't know what they did. No, no, no. Take those lenses off. You're wearing 3D demonic glasses. It's either division, it's either deception, or you're just in plain disobedience. Simple as that. You can't walk forward in the things of God if you're looking backwards. That's what happened to Lot's wife. She looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. We're called to be salt and light, not dark and salty. And I know a few dark and salty people. Guys, the only way I know how to love others as Jesus commands us is to not look at what others have done to me, but to look at what Jesus has done for me. I want to tell you today, guys, stop looking at what others have done or done to you. Look to what Jesus has done for you on that cross. And you will safeguard yourself from wearing demonic 3D glasses and being trapped in a world of pain in a wandering wilderness where you'll never experience the promise, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a warning in that passage of Scripture I gave you in Matthew 6.23, and I just want to, if you can pull that slide up. 
If your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Right? Pretty simple. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I never understood that. Until it was revealed to me that if you think what you have is actually light, but it's darkness, it's the devil's glasses, how great is the deception that you're in? And the only way, as that other video said, is through humility. We have to humbly take off our glasses and we have to come to the cross. Now, I've got one last video I want us to play. And as this video plays, I want to just do something symbolic as an act of repentance so we can actually move into a time of thanksgiving and worship so we can be free of this junk once and for all because we're not going into our new season if we're carrying this stuff. We're going to be looking back and we'll become salty and dark. So if you want to turn the lights off and you just want to play the last video and just close your eyes if you want to. Words are up on the screen.
you want to just take your lenses, if you want to walk up to the front and just drop them down as an act of just saying, I'm done with this. I'm done with playing the devil's game and being played by the devil. Whenever you want in your own time. And and can I invite the worship team to come back up as well? Because we can't have Pentecost without one accord. Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you're right here right now. And according to your word, according to your promise, that when we come together in one accord, you come, you pour out, you indwell and you overfill. And right now we want to step into that place. Our hearts are are yearning for you. We want to focus on the cross, what you paid for. We want to let go of the past. And we want to experience a fresh revelation of Pentecost. A fresh impartation of your spirit. We want to be free just to declare how great you are, Lord. We want to be free to declare just how amazing you are, God. And that being transformed by your love, we can love one another as we see them through your eyes and what you paid for. So Lord, we just want to bring this sacrifice of praise to you this morning as one body, as one church, and give you glory and honor and praise for everything you deserve, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.